It's so great to have everybody here. My name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor. I always want to say hey to everybody online. How's everyone enjoying the monsoon season right now? <laughs> I've never seen so much rain in my life. And let's just be real. Some of you guys are watching online right now because the rain scared you away. The rain was too wet to make it to church. But we're so glad to have everybody. Truly, truly happy to have you here. And we always want to give a special welcome to everybody who's new. Can we give some love to the new folks here? We always are so glad to have you. Truly. I know we got some people for the first time in the last couple times you're checking Northern Hills out. Truly, maybe you're online right now. We're just so glad to have you. And at any point in time, if you want to click that link in the chat or you want to scan the QR code on the back of the seats, we got all these events happening at the church. There's women's ministry stuff. We have a work day coming up as a church in the next week and all these different events for student ministry. So please check all that stuff out. We'd love to have you do that. There is one thing that we always highlight every week, and that is our welcome party. Every couple weeks we do a welcome party where we bring people in, we give you a free catered meal, we take care of your kids, and it's just a chance to sit down, get to know our staff, and just hear our hope for you and what it means for Northern Hills. Because our conviction is that church is not supposed to be an event you just attend on Sunday, but a family that you actually belong to. And so we just talk about family. What does it mean to be a part of the family of God, the family of Northern Hills? And so we'd love to have you. Some of you guys registered for the one happening tonight. And let me just say this. I know you're already planning on not showing up because you're like, well, now we got the Nuggets and the finals and I got to catch the game, Brian. So, I mean, I got priorities here. Let me just promise you this. We will get you out in time to watch the Nuggets win tonight. So you make sure you make it out. If you didn't get signed up for this one, you can jump online. The next one is July 23rd. Would love to have you at that one if you want to come out and get a free meal and hear more about the church. But we actually have some other stuff coming up I'm really excited about. Just next month of July, we're going to have our Baptism Sunday, everybody. If you haven't been at one of these, this is just a fun party we do on a Sunday. Celebrate life change and baptism. If you are somebody here who has never been baptized, or maybe you were even baptized as a baby and it was never a personal decision you've made, we would love for you to be able to step and take that journey with God because this is one of the biggest things you can do in your journey with Jesus is go public in your faith and be baptized. So we're planting that seed now in case you want to invite family and friends to come be a part of that. We'll get it on video. We'll get pictures. We're going to make it a whole thing. Get online. Even if you're just interested, you're not sure yet, just sign up and we'll just get you the info and you can see if maybe that's the right next step for you. We'd love to have you do that. Now, this will be the last time I kind of mention this on Sunday, everybody, just so you know. Just want to thank all of you who call Northern Hills home and give here. For the last couple of weeks, we've been changing our whole giving platform. So especially those of you guys who give regularly online or have automated giving, thank you for being patient, switching over to that. So many of you guys had made the move and we're still doing that right now. So thank you for that. This is gonna help us just be so much more cost-effective and do this in a more efficient way. So if you are somebody who gives to Northern Hills, you, you know how we do it. You can jump online, you can give here in the cafe, you can text, give, do all the different things. We're so grateful. And we even been started this little mini initiative called our Summer Bucket List, where we just have some special generosity opportunities going on the next couple weeks. If you just want to see some of the things we have happening for kids and worship and different areas of our church, we'd love for you to check that out and you can be a part of what's happening. But I kind of want to get through everything there, everybody, so I could share one really big, big news update with you. This is, this is fresh off the presses, okay? So don't tell anybody yet. I still have to tell second service. But it was May 15th, just, just like two weeks ago, um, I heard some news about a new school getting started in the area, a new charter school with 27J, and they have land and they're getting ready to do a new building just three minutes east of here in the Todd Creek neighborhood. And so I just went to one of their info meetings just to say, hey, learn about what's going on. And as I was walking out, he shook the headmaster's hand. I said, hey, I'm the pastor down the street, looking forward to being your neighbor. Let me know if you guys need anything. And I got a call the very next day from some people in their offices saying, can we come meet with you? And I'm thinking, okay, I'm just trying to be a good neighbor. You come hang out, I'll, I'll have some coffee, whatever. Well, before I knew it, there are four people in suits showing up at our church. 
like coming to do a whole interrogation or something. And I'm like, okay, this is different. And after they left the building, 45 minutes later, I get a phone call from one of them. They say, Brian, here's the honest truth. Our current facility situation is just not what we need as we're waiting for our permanent facility to get built. We just don't have the space we need. It's just not quite working. Would there be any way Northern Hills could help us in this season as we look towards getting a permanent space? And so I was just like, guys, I, I, I honestly don't know. This is not something I was necessarily looking for, you know, as I was going to your meeting. But I went to our staff. I started going to our board and we started asking this question, is there a way we can help this school that's gonna be our neighbor for so many years here coming up? And we started just exploring what it would look like to help provide a space for hundreds of kids to be able to have a safe place to learn, to grow, to be loved by caring adults. And as we went on this journey and we started asking these questions, we were starting to say, you know what? What an incredible opportunity this would be for our church to be able to provide a space for all these families and kids right around us in our church area. What an opportunity it would be just to be generous and love them as they're in a season of transition. What an opportunity to maximize and utilize our facility that sits mostly empty during the week, to be honest with you, it really does. And so as we started doing the back and forth of them, this initiated the 10 most intense days of my life since joining Northern Hills with all the meetings and the, all the calls and driving around and having all these things. But we got to a point where we said, you know what? We feel like this is something God would want us to do. And it's just an incredible, incredible opportunity. So Northern Hills, I'm excited to let you know, we are gonna be able to be the home for Ascent Classical Charter School here for the next school year and be their place where they can meet and have classes and provide a space where they can raise these kids up. And I just wanna let you guys know why, why this is just so exciting to us. At this moment in time, they have 258 kids enrolled. That's 258 kids that we're gonna be able to house here Monday through Friday. That's hundreds of families that may know nothing about Northern Hills or know nothing about Jesus, for that matter, that we're gonna be able to love and serve and care for. And to be honest with you, this is a win-win too because Ascent is invested in us as well. They're gonna help us upgrade our security cameras, our doors and all things to make this an incredible world-class space that will just benefit everybody. I just wanna answer two quick questions though for everybody before we continue. Some people might be hearing this and you're like, well, Brian, didn't we just start a school in January? What happened to Hills Academy? I thought, what's going on here? What's the plan? The minute Ascent even suggested this idea to us, the very first question was, what does this do to Hills Academy? Because we will never allow anything to hinder the vision we have for creating a world-class Christian environment for kids to grow up and be educated and all of that. So that was the number one filter for all of this. It cannot impinge on what we're trying to do with Hills Academy. And what amazed us was all of the space that Ascent needed didn't even come close to touching what we need for Hills Academy to continue to grow and expand because this is just a temporary solution for them. And so we are going to continue to expand and grow Hills Academy in the next year. They'll have their own secure area and do their whole own thing. They'll still be separate entities. We're not merging or anything like that. And Hills Academy is our long-term plan. We're hoping that school is going to fill this entire building and more one day. That's our vision for that. So we're really excited about that. We both can continue to thrive together. The other question might be, well, Brian, hold on. This is a public charter school. This is not a Christian school, or what's kind of the deal with that? Well, yeah, exactly. If anything, I think that's a great thing <laughs> because we're gonna have plenty of people coming here that could care less about church or God, and God's gonna give us an opportunity to love and care for and serve them and even be a witness. So we're even believing this will be an incredible outreach opportunity for our church to reach people right in our own backyard. And what was kind of cool is most money, every higher up I've met so far, you know, their executive team and their headmaster teachers, they are very strong Christians and they have a vision for creating these alternative education spaces for kids. And so they believe in what we're doing 
and they, the positions they hold in some of the controversial areas, you know, with culture and, and all those things, we align with as well. So we are going to be able to move in the same direction and support them, and they're going to be behind us as well with what we're doing. So that's just a huge win right there. We're so excited. So I will say this, for many of us here at our church, you are not even going to notice that there's hundreds of kids here in a typical day. Because <laughs> you're going to be at work. You're going to be doing your life. So when you show up on Sunday or you show up at night for ministry, all that's going to go as normal. You won't even notice there's a school in here. If you came in during the week, you might notice some kids going around. We'll have some different ways of entering the building. But otherwise, this won't affect anything we have planned as a church and what we're doing. If anything, it's only going to accelerate it with some of the investment they're bringing to our church. So I'm telling you, everybody, this just feels like one of those God things. And sometimes it just does. It just feels like one of those God things. And sometimes he just gives you an underhanded slow softball pitch and you just got to wind up and take that swing and just go for it. So we're just taking swings and step into these things that God seems to open doors for. So we're just so excited about that. Be praying about it. We are still hiring and planning for Hills Academy. All that stuff's on the website. Keep telling your friends about that. We're so excited about the developments there. So it's just, it's a good time to be at Northern Hills, everybody. It's just a good time. God's moving. It's exciting. Summer's kicking off. We got rain. It's just good. Lots of things to celebrate. So if you have any other questions, don't hesitate to ask me or other staff. Like I said, we've gone over and under and above and around to get all the questions answered and all the things. So please do that. Last thing I want to give you guys is you're going to be very proud of me, okay? You're going to be very proud of your pastor right now. I have a very good pastor friend named Jared Moore in Phoenix, Arizona, and I'm hoping you get to meet him one day. I'm hoping to have him preach here one day. But we entered into a little bit of a friendly wager because he's in Phoenix we're in the same conference with basketball stuff. So how about you just take a look at these screens right here for just a second. Hard to believe this is week number 10 of the series that we're calling Masterclass. And before we do that, let me just explain to you why I'm wearing this Denver Nuggets jersey. Um, your pastor has a problem, everybody. I made a bet with another pastor in Denver, Colorado during the Phoenix Suns Denver series. And I said, whoever loses will have to wear the other jersey on stage. And I'm a man of my word. So Pastor Brian and Northern Hills Community Church in Brighton, Colorado, congratulations. You're welcome. I, no, 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 don't clap for them. Don't clap for them. I said, I'm sending this back to you as soon as this, this, I have to pay off this bet. And he goes, oh no, just keep it for next year. Oh, come on, come on. <laughs> All right, who's ready to get into it? We got a new series today. Come on, early service. Who's ready to go after this? We're going to have a good morning. Let, let's pray together before we do it. Lord, we do thank you for everything you're doing here in this community. God, we know you are the one who is guiding, who's providing, who's making a way. And we're just so grateful for the life change we're seeing the new families, the people, and now even, Lord, the chance to influence hundreds more families here right in our own backyard. So thank you for everything you are doing, God. And I pray as we enter into this summer season, we would just see a great harvest with baptisms and decisions and just you moving. But even right now, Lord, may your word do what it does. May it be living and active in our hearts and our minds, Lord. So open us up to everything you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, let me hear it, everybody. Amen. I'm willing to bet that not a single person here knows who this person on the screen is right there. I'm willing to make this bet. Nobody knows who that is. And the reason you have no idea who that guy is is because that's Bobby, my old neighbor from when Nicole and I lived in a whole other state at a different time in our lives. You have no idea who this guy is. Now, as you might be able to tell from the picture, Bobby, he likes to fish, 
But, you know, he's also a dude who likes to catch the game on the weekend. He likes to have a couple drinks from time to time. He works a straight nine to five for a company that cleans uh, hospital linens. And if you just look at Bobby, you know who he is? He's just your typical good dude. He's just a guy. He's a great guy. He was a decent neighbor, but he's Bobby. Now, I'm willing to bet that a few more people probably know who this guy on the screen is right here. Who's that? Okay, so yeah, that's Elon, Elon Musk. Now, Elon, at this point in time, owns five different companies valued at over a billion dollars. Just last week, he reclaimed the spot as the world's richest person. He is working on getting humanity to Mars. He is trying to build energy-efficient transportation. He's trying to develop a free speech media, social media space. And he's doing all this while he's fathering 10 children. If that isn't enough, he just recently started an artificial intelligence company because apparently the guy doesn't have enough going on. Now, there's a reason why you know who Elon is. There are certain people that are just generational talents. They're famous, they're rich, they leave a massive impact on humanity. These are the main characters of the cultural conversation. You even see people like this in the Bible. You ask most people who are somewhat familiar with the Bible and say, hey, who are some of the main characters of the Bible? You probably hear some of the similar names. Oh, maybe someone like David or Moses. You know, kings, leaders, people who are completely shifting the entire culture. These are people who are living lives of consequence. Now think about your life. Most of us in here probably have a little bit more in common with Bobby than Elon. Is that fair to say? Most of us are probably not going to have books written about us. Probably very few of us have people podcasting about what we're doing at our 9 to 5. Um, you just think of the distribution curve of humanity. Most of us fall somewhere in the middle. And you take a minute. You look at somebody like Elon, or you even think of some of these main characters of biblical history. It can get you to start to wonder, how much consequence does my life really have? I was just at our neighborhood park last night, hanging out with another dad. Our kids were playing, and we have this big park with all these wood chips everywhere. He said, you know what, Brian? He said, you know what my life is? My life is just one of those pieces of mulch right there. Just one of a million. He's like, my life isn't really going to add up to a, a whole lot. He was just reflecting on this. And you do start to wonder, if that's the case, how involved is God with our lives? Because can we just be real? Most of our lives, like 90%, maybe even more, is kind of just the daily monotony. You're kind of going through the routine. You got the mundane. How much does God care about your math homework? How much does he care about all the diapers you're changing on a daily basis? How much does he really care about your commute and just the bills that you're trying to pay and just the daily grind that is our typical lives? And you start to look at it, you start to wonder, Man, our stories are kind of small in the grand scheme of things. And that sets us up perfectly for a brand new series we're starting today. We are simply calling The Book of Ruth. And if you don't know, there is actually an entire book of the Bible named after this particular woman. And you notice the subtitle, Little Story, Big God. 
Now, let me give you guys just a little bit of peeking behind the curtain. I want you to know kind of the philosophy here. It is so important to me as the pastor of the church to make sure we get wide exposure to the Bible as much as we can. And that's why we do these different series in different ways. So if you've been around for a while, you'll notice sometimes we'll do a topic. We'll do like a series on relationships or money, something pertinent. Sometimes we'll talk about something happening in the culture and how the Bible even speaks to that. But sometimes it's even really good just to go straight through a book of the Bible. Because the good thing about this is it forces me to even speak on things I probably wouldn't even think about. Because sometimes I go through the Bible, there's things that interest me more than others, and this just gives us the discipline of saying, hey, let's talk about things that are apparently important to God, even though we may not think they're super pertinent to us. So the next couple weeks, we're just going to walk through the book of Ruth and learn about this lady's life and even what it says about our own lives. Now, the thing about Ruth is she is a Bobby. Ruth is a total Bobby. There is nothing about her life that was exceptional in any way when she was alive. The world was paying no attention to this lady at all. She didn't come from a prominent family. She wasn't rich. She didn't start a business. And nobody really cared about this lady at all. And yet, her life, her story, has been preserved and retold for over 3,000 years. Are we still going to be talking about Elon in 3,000 years? I don't know. Maybe we'll be to Jupiter by then as a, as a human species or something. But this subtitle is so important. Little story, big God. Because the reality is most of our stories are pretty small. Not particularly significant in the grand scheme of things. But what Ruth's life shows us is that everything changes when God gets involved. Everything changes. And you see a God who starts to get his hands in the menial and the mundane and the monotony of life, and he starts to use those things for eternally significant purposes. And so what you will find here in the next coming weeks is that with God, there is literally no such thing as a small story. That he is always doing big things, even in the smallest areas of our lives. And so we're going to walk through this book and see what it has to say. I'm excited. We're going to have some fun the next couple weeks, guys. This is going to be good. So we're going to start right from the top. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, all right? Let's read and see what happens here. It says this, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. So we're getting the stage set here. It talks about this period of the judges when they lived. Now, this was about 1200 to 1000 BC. And this actually was a total dark period in the history of Israel. Right at this moment in time, they had conquered the promised land. They got to the place God had wanted them to get to. But they did not get all the enemy nations out. So they're surrounded by all these different hostile people. They're starting to spiritually drift. Sin and rebellion is starting to seep in. There's political instability and upheaval. I know none of this sounds familiar at all to our current cultural moment at all. We can't relate. But this is what's going on. Not only that, though, it says there's a famine. Now, we have to appreciate that single word. This is not just the egg prices are expensive right now. 
This is, there's no food. Like, people are starving, and they have to make some really radical decisions in order to survive. And just to get a taste of how serious this is, people had extreme significance behind the names they chose for their kids at this time. Always had deep meaning behind it. So these two kids of Elimelech and Naomi, they're named Malon and Kilion. You know what those names mean? Sick and wasting away. Could you imagine introducing your kids to somebody and they're like, oh, what's your kid's name? Well, this is flu and this is COVID. Those are my two children. And this just gives you a taste of how dire the situation really is. So dire that it says they moved to Moab. Again, these are the little details you might miss sometimes read the Bible, but this is massively significant. Moab was the one place you were not supposed to move to. It was like the one place God said, you're not going there. You need to stay where I want you in Israel. And yet they moved away to the place they were not supposed to go. But the irony of the whole situation is just 50 miles away from God's promised land, the place God called his people, is this enemy hostile nation that has food. And they're not going through a famine. And so this is the picture you're supposed to have right now. Society is falling apart. God seems to be totally absent. There's no food. And now this family is going to a place they really shouldn't be going. That's where we're at. Now let's pick it up in verse 3. Now, Limelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth, who this book will be named after. After they lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. 10 years three deaths, no words. This is an absolute hopeless situation. You think about this cultural moment when wives were highly dependent on their husbands and their sons. That was just the reality for better or for worse. And now you have Naomi who has hit absolute rock bottom. She's broke, she's in a foreign country, She's lost her husband and her sons, and now she has two daughter-in-laws that her sons shouldn't have even married in the first place that she now has to figure out how to care for. This is a total dead end. And there's actually kind of a painful little irony in this whole story that we have to catch here. Elimelech, we talked about the significance of names. His name means, my God is king. Now, the one man whose name declared that God was the most important thing in his life took his family to Moab. And so we see a little subtle hint here that maybe God really wasn't the real king of his life. And actually, Elimelech seemed to be focused more on what was expedient. What seemed right in the time, what was the most practical, even if it wasn't really the right thing to do, Elimic had this moment where he's like, well, I think this is probably the best way to go. This seems to make the most sense on paper. And the painful irony is Elimelech did all these things to keep his family alive, and yet he and both his sons end up dying. Sometimes the stuff that looks really good on paper is actually death. 
It's not the thing that God wants you to do. And this is an important principle we learn from Elimelech's life as we dig into this. The first thing we see here is obedience is more important than expedience. You know how tempting it is to sometimes look at situations and your whole filter is, well, what does this do to me? You know, how does this affect my life? So we kind of look at stuff, we're like, okay, well, does this opportunity have more money? Or is that place somewhere I actually want to live? Or is that person hot? Because that's a good filter for my decision. Or do I just want to do it, right? Isn't that usually what we start to use? And so really what we start asking is, what do I want to do? What makes the most sense for me? And we'll even put a Christian stamp on it. We'll say, God must want me to do this because it feels really good and it feels right. We often do that. But we see here that sometimes what seems like the best possible decision for you can be the worst case scenario once it actually plays out. And so there's actually this better question that we should be wrestling with. When we're faced with decisions, we have different opportunities coming up in front of us. Really, the question should be not what's in this for me or how does this impact me. The question should be, what does God want me to do? Does God want me to date that person? Does God want me to take that job? Is God asking me to take this step? And anybody here, if you've tried following God for any length of time, you've had this experience where obedience is often not easier. <laughs> it's not the case. But many times it is better. And oftentimes obedience costs you something. But you also find as you experiment with this that nothing with God is better than everything without him. And so the heart posture that we really should be striving to achieve is, God, you're king in my life. You get the throne, not me. And whatever the cost is, I want to make sure I'm going in the direction you want me in. Now, can I acknowledge some gray area right now? I got to acknowledge something that's a just a little sideways about this story. You see, at no point in this entire passage do we see any condemnation of any of these characters. Like it doesn't say, and then God said, Elimelech was a loser. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say, and then God was furious with Naomi. And so he rained down rocks from heaven to smash them. There's nothing. It doesn't say that Naomi's suffering was because of sin or anything. We don't even know what her opinion on the matter was. Did she want to go to Moab? Was she in favor of this? Like what was their plan and what was happening here? And God doesn't say a word. Like, actually, God doesn't say a single word through this entire book. We don't hear a peep from God. And you know what I love about that? That is exactly how our lives often feel. Isn't that how life feels like sometimes? You're trying to make a decision. You're going through something. You go, God, why is this happening? And that's about what you get. God, what do you want me to do? Crickets. Uh, Lord, did I do something wrong? Is there anybody out there? Anybody have that experience before? Absolute dead silence. And this is really difficult when you're going through something hard. When you don't know what to do at a fork in the road, when you're suffering, you're like, God, just throw me a bone. 
Give me something. Give me anything. I'll take whatever you got. And you just have to imagine Naomi right now is thinking, God, what did I do? What did I miss? Can you just tell me? And actually, we even get a little taste of how Naomi felt about this situation. Look what it says in verse 13. This is Naomi talking. The Lord's hand has turned against me. This lady lived 3,000 years ago. We got more in common with her than we realize. Anybody in here, I'm sure you've had this experience. You're starting to go through something hard, and your first thought is, God's mad at me. I must have done something. Because he wouldn't have done this to me if I didn't mess up somehow. So I'm, I'm experiencing the punishment of God. The wrath of God is on my life. His hand is against me. I don't know a single person that doesn't feel that on some level. I've actually shared um, details of this story in other messages, but the reason I bring it up often is because this season of Nicole's and I's life has marked us in ways that nothing else has. We have never been the same people after going through this experience. And it was four years ago when our second child, our daughter, Brinley, was born. Nicole had a totally normal pregnancy. The delivery was perfectly smooth. It was a dream situation. And we were sitting in the hospital there in Louisville the next day, getting ready to leave, thinking everything was perfectly fine. And the doctor walks in, very somber, and you could just feel the whole room shift. And he just sits us down, he's like, I don't know how to tell this to you guys, but your daughter was born with blood clots all over in her brain. And we're like, okay. He said, we couldn't have seen this on ultrasounds. We're not sure how it happened. It's just a totally random thing. But he's like, your daughter very likely is going to grow up severely mentally handicapped. She may go blind, and she may start to lose function in her body and become paralyzed. That is what we were told the day after our daughter was born. And that started this endless cycle of hospital visits and specialists and treatments and medical bills. In the middle of this, I even lost a job, which why not just throw a job loss in the middle of that if you're already going through something? And in all honesty, in that season, I had so many moments where I was just like, God, what did I do? Like, am I that terrible of a person that I apparently need to learn some really painful lesson? Like, truly, it, did I mess up that much? Because there's no way you would inflict this on somebody that you were actually happy with. So this must be some form of punishment, or maybe you're just not interested in my life anymore. Maybe I'm just too small of a person for you to care much about. And I know there's many people in here that you've had some of those very same feelings. You're like, God, it feels like your hand is against me. Now, this is the key question. Was God's hand against Naomi? Some of you may not be familiar with the story, and that's good. I don't want to give away the ending yet. You can read ahead, I guess, if you want. But those of us who have heard this story before, you know how it ends. And what we see is that God was not actively trying to ruin this woman's life. And that he actually was supernaturally getting his hands involved in all the little details to move her towards his 
unbelievable blessings, his incredible plans of eternal significance for her life. But Naomi was experiencing something that every single one of us will experience at some point in our lives. You live long enough, you're going to have this experience. And this is how I would define it. It is sanctified suffering. You're going to have this experience. If you live long enough, this is what you're going to experience. And this is what I mean by sanctified suffering. At no point in the entire Bible does God promise you'll be able to avoid pain and suffering in this life. He never promises that. Jesus even says, in this life, you're going to have trouble. Thank you, Jesus. We appreciate the encouragement. <laughs> He's like, just in case you're wondering, it's going to hurt a little bit. Now, what God does promise, though, is that he will not allow any pain or suffering in your life that will not pass through his own hand and ultimately be used for his good purposes. Now, let me explain that. There's so much nuance here. A, a really famous example would be someone like Job in the Bible. If you don't know Job, he goes through a horrific circumstance. He loses his family. He loses everything. But not a single time is God the direct cause of any of that suffering. But throughout his entire life, all of the suffering is under God's sovereign control. And he's using all of it in Job's life. He makes sure that that suffering is not just some sword that destroys him. God makes sure that it's a scalpel used to transform him and help him. Uh, another quick example, someone like Joseph. If you know Joseph's story. Dude ends up in slavery, in prison. <laughs> he has some hard years. Not a single time is God the actual cause of any of that. And yet, God is somehow mysteriously, supernaturally working in every single little detail to get Joseph towards his purposes for his life. You see this through the entire Bible. It's sanctified. God is ultimately over all of it. He's controlling it. And so you need to hear this today. God will never allow a painful experience, any type of suffering, or a hard season in your life unless he ultimately plans to use it for a good purpose. He sanctifies every single piece of your suffering. God's hand was not against Naomi. His hand was gently working in all the events of her life to bring her towards his own blessings. When I think about Nicole's and I's experience with Brindley, I know that God could have prevented it. He could have, easily. He didn't, but he could have. And through all of it, I had moments where I was like, I think God is just working against us. But it was in time, as the weeks and months and even years went by, I started to recognize God's gentle hand starting to move around in some of our circumstances. And I would say, at this moment in my life, I'm not quite at the point where I can say, and I am so grateful God put us through that. Bless the Lord. It was amazing. I'm not ready yet, okay? Wait a couple years. I'll preach that one day where I say God is amazing. I'm not ready yet, okay? It's too soon. But you know what I can say? I have experienced God's love and presence in ways I had never experienced before through anything else. Nicole's and I's faith got stretched in ways it could not have been stretched going through anything else. And I would even say we saw legitimate miracles that we never could have seen otherwise. Because I have a four-year-old daughter today, everybody, that is perfectly healthy, that is running around and terrorizing some volunteers right now inside of our church. <laughs> Praise God for that. Thank you. God's hand did not cause it. But his hand was definitely working in all of it. 
if you feel like God is against you, how do you know? What makes you so certain that he is actively trying to ruin your life? Naomi was totally wrong. She completely missed what was actually happening. Her entire life felt like dirt. It's just a big pile of dirt. But she didn't see that God was actually planting a garden. And he was starting to put some seeds in the ground and work the soil of her life. We get no words from God through this entire situation. Complete silence. But we start to see him work even right now. Let's look at verse 6. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. This is only one of two times we see God's direct involvement. No words. And it's not even truly directly impacting Naomi, but it's getting her moving. And you got to see, God is moving in your life in ways you don't even see all the time. He's working through all the details, getting you in the direction he wants you to go. And now these two daughter-in-laws are moving with her. But now they start to get in a debate. If you read through the rest of the chapter, Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah, Naomi's like, go home, girls. I got nothing for you. I'm a destitute old widow. What am I going to do to help you out? You're young enough. Go start over. Go back to your families. Stay in Moab. I'm going to go back to Israel. We're going to just, just kind of clean our hands and just move on. That's what we're going to do. So they get in a little bit of a debate. And then look what Naomi says when she's trying to make her case. Verse 11, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons? Who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Menopause is kicking in, girls, okay? I can't help you, all right? Man probably shouldn't have made that joke. I apologize. Um, even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? Now, if you're new to the Bible, or maybe if you're familiar, right now you should be thinking, huh? What is Naomi talking about? What does this have to do with anything? What is this girl talking about? You've got to understand something. There was a common practice at this point in time called leveret marriage. And that meant, leveret just means husband's brother. Now, track with me for a minute. If a woman husband's, husband's died, a woman's husband died, you tracking with me, and they had no kids, it would actually be a brother-in-law or close male relative who would come in and marry her. And the first son born to them would take on the deceased husband's name. Now, I know that sounds strange to us, but you have to understand, lineage was everything at this time. Your family, your name, your descendants, it was everything. And so this was a very critical practice to keep family lines alive. And the, the husband's brother, who would ultimately marry his brother's wife, his, you know, sister-in-law basically, would be called a kinsman redeemer. Now, kinsman just means blood relative. But this word redeemer, maybe you've heard it in church before. Sometimes we hear these words and we don't appreciate the significance. This is what a redeemer is. Someone who rescues another person from a difficult or hopeless situation. Now, this redeemer would make a massive sacrifice for his own brother and, his, and the widow. And he would completely change his whole life around so they could take care of this family. It was a massive sacrifice. And so what Naomi is saying to these girls is, listen, ladies, there ain't no time in the world for me to be able to get another husband, for them to have kids that you can then marry so you can have a redeemer. If you stay with me, you ain't getting redeemed. You cannot marry a three-year-old. That's just weird, okay? This is not going to work. So she's just telling them, you come with me, it's hopeless. There is no future for you. 
Don't expect to have a family or kids. You're going to be with a destitute old widow. That's the plan if you stick with me. So she made a pretty good case there. Orpah moves on. She's like, all right, see you, lady. That's a good point. I'm going to go back and see if I can find a man, okay, and start over again. We never hear from Orpah again. We have no idea what happened to her. That's it. She disappears into history. Look what verse 14 says. But Ruth clung to her. Look what Ruth says in verse 16. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. We cannot overstate the significance of what Ruth is saying here. Do you see what she's saying? She's saying, Naomi, this is not about what I want. This is not about what is expedient for me. This is not about me fulfilling my own dreams or my own desires. This is about God. That's what this is about. And you got to appreciate this. Ruth, she's from Moab. Totally different beliefs, different religion, different gods. And what we see here is that this woman had a genuine conversion. She had a moment in her life where she placed her whole faith in the same God as Naomi, the true God, the living God. And Ruth learned a very important lesson through this transformation in her life. What she learned is nothing with God is better than everything without him. And so Ruth lays down any hope she has for her family, any hope she has for her own kids, any hope for financial security. And you know what she does? She redeems Naomi. She steps in and redeems this poor, old, broke widow. Lays down everything she could have hoped for and wanted for the sake of this other woman. Ruth lived by the principle that Elimelech didn't. She discovered obedience is much more important than expedience. And so she asked the question, God, what do you want me to do? And she put no conditions on her obedience. She said, whatever the sacrifice is, I'm willing to do it. And she gave up everything. Now we see where the story kind of closes here in chapter one. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. The harvest is starting to come, everybody. The famine is moving on. The green leaves are starting to show. There's new life. There's food. There's hope. And what we see is the story is just beginning. How many people get to these points in their life where they feel like the story is over? You know, people I talk to, they say, well, I'm divorced. So I'm at least on plan B for my life, maybe plan C or D at this point. I'm never going to be able to live the life God really would have wanted me to live. It's kind of over now. I'm just existing. Now I'm just buying time. People, I'm in such a deep financial hole, it's going to be paycheck to paycheck for the rest of my life. There is no way this is ever going to get solved. My relationship with my kids is never going to be restored. It's always going to be strained. It's never going to be what it could have been. 
I'm too old. I missed the bus. There's no chance now. I can't take some of these risks now. The story is coming to a close in my life. How do you know that God isn't just starting your story? How do you know that you're actually not in chapter one? Ruth thought her story was over. It was done. She gave it all up. She was at peace with it, but it was done. There was no, nothing left for her. Naomi, her story was over. She's an old, broke widow. There's nothing left. And what they didn't see was that this was chapter one. This was just chapter one. God was just getting started. And if you are somebody in here where you're like, I think my best days are behind me. I'm not sure what God can really do in my life now. I think I've missed some of those opportunities. You just need to know, if you will just go to a point where you will say the same things Ruth will say. You say, you know what? God, you're going to be my God. Your people are going to be my people. I'm going to go wherever you want me to go. I'm going to stay wherever you want me to stay. If you will make that your heart posture with God, I'm telling you, you know what God will say? Oh, I can redeem that story. I can actually write something really good with that. In fact, I'm going to turn that into chapter one. And we're going to see what I can do with those years that you got left. And I'm going to write a beautiful, beautiful story. There's a man in our church who approached me a little while back. He said, Brian, if at any point in time I could share my story with the church, if it could be an encouragement to anybody, I would just be open to doing that. If you're ever interested, no pressure. So I just kept it logged in the back of my mind. I said, okay. I got to know this guy a little bit more. They've become friends. And when this series started coming up, I said, you know what? That story just fits so well with this idea of just redemption and what God can do in a human life that turns to him. And so I want you guys to hear this story from a man in our church. Let's take a look at the screens. I'm Cody Wanberg, live in Lock Bowie, born and raised in Denver, Colorado, though. Uh, one of eight siblings, and there's a lot of us, and currently I have three boys, a six-year-old, four-year-old, and a three-week-old, and married for coming on 13 years. Well, my, after my parents divorced, it was really challenging for everybody. Didn't get to see my dad that much. My mom was there, but she was working all the time, and she had her own issues she brought to the table, and that that brought on a lot of a lot of struggles and challenges for me. I remember the, coming into third grade about that. I woke up one night, tears, sobbing, hating life, hating myself, not sure what to do. My mom didn't have too much time for me. She just said, "Go take a bath. It'll be better in the morning." But in the bath, like all I could think about as a third grader was, I don't want to live anymore. For seven or so years, my life really was defined by, by death and depression. That's, that's what everything was about. There was always conflict in my house. There was always conflict in my family and I just wanted to be away. And I remember going, running away a few blocks. I didn't make it that far, <laughs> but run, running away from home and hiding in a bush and just for hours, just crying in this bush, wanting to be away, but not knowing where to go. And, and that, that was kind of like what my life was, that I, I was stuck somewhere that didn't want me. And I knew that there was somewhere else that I needed to be, but I didn't know where to go. And so for, for my whole childhood, um, as a kid going up through sophomore year, it was instance after instance after instance of the world telling me that I don't matter. Starting my sophomore year, I hit a real turning point in my life. 
enter the air still with depression, still with uh, a lack of desire to be in this world. And I, I found this youth group, and for the first time, I met somebody who saw value in me. They cared about me, that invested in me, and said that you, you have something special, that you're made for something good, and you're made to be a part of this world. And that opened the door for God to then speak into me that, yeah, I matter. He has this whole kingdom that he wants me to impact, that he wants me to be a part of. And, and I, I get to do that. That he said, you get to be a part of my, my plan for this world to, to bring hope and to bring joy and to bring life. And as I, that started clicking in me, there was this Sunday when I was being prayed for that during the prayer, this person, I don't even think they, they knew what was really going on inside of me. But whatever they prayed, something clicked inside of me that said, I don't have to be defined by death anymore. That it was like God completely flipped my life story on its head to throw away death and depression and to instead give me a source of hope and life and joy that is eternal, straight from Him. And it, it changed me in an instant. When I, when I had my first son, Theodore, it hit me that up until that point, I spent half of my life living in death and depression and half of my life living in joy and hope. And it was that same year that he was born that I realized, oh, I'm past that point. Then now I'm living more in joy and hope than I've lived in death and depression. And now I'm moving forward, encountering God, realizing that I'm loved, realizing that I'm there. It was, he reached down with that kingdom is upside down hope that he brings and says, you're somebody that the world says is unredeemable and I'm redeeming you. Because before before I, I encountered the real love of God, I wouldn't have had any of that. I had no no hope for the future. But, but now my life is hope and it's been hope that I get to be a part of his kingdom impact, that I get to help speak into others that you are worthy that you are redeemable, that you're not lost in and forsaken, that, that God's always been there. He's always working even if you don't see it. And, and that's cool to know that I've spent most more of my life living in, in hope than not. I'm, my story's not done. My story's still being written and it's being written for the good. scripture it says this in Ephesians 1 talking about Jesus in him we have what is that word redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us you see when Jesus went to the cross he made the ultimate sacrifice he laid everything down he died in your place so he could rescue you so he could redeem you 
so he could save you from your sin, from your separation from God. And you need to know if you have trusted Jesus, you have been rescued. Not just from a difficult situation, from a hopeless situation. And you got to know, if you are in Jesus, you have been fully redeemed by Jesus himself. He is your true redeemer. And that's what we'll see through the whole story of Ruth. There are many redeemers, but God is the ultimate redeemer in every single life that will turn to him. And so today, you just need to know, when you put your faith in Jesus, if you are walking with him, if you will even do that today, God will and is redeeming every single thing in your life. Every famine, every hard season, Every time he feels absent, he is getting his hands in that dirt and he is preparing your life for a harvest. And so, every person in here, whether it is the first time or just a refresher that you need today, this is an opportunity for us to say, I am going to have the same heart posture as Ruth. God is going to be my God. Wherever he wants me to go, that's where I want to go. Wherever he wants me to stay, that is where I'm going to stay. Because as you trust in Jesus and you make him your true king, you put him on the throne of your life, God guarantees you this. He will write a better story for you than you could have ever written for yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you all pray with me? Yes, let's give, let's give God a praise today. Mm. Let's pray together. Lord, you are our redeemer. And we thank you so much that even with our little stories, we have a big God who gets involved in even some of the most disappointing, even mundane details of our lives. And you are working and moving and getting your hands in the soil of our lives to grow something beautiful. And so today, Lord, I just pray for hope over anybody in our church right now who needs to be reminded that you are still writing their story that you are still doing something beautiful, that there is always hope with you. And even if you feel quiet, God, I just pray that we would have the confidence knowing that it is not your hand that is against us. It is your hand that is for us, that nothing can separate us from your love. And so, Lord, we just open up our hearts to you today and we declare the same thing as Ruth, Lord. We want you to be our God. We want your people to be our people. Wherever you want us to go, God, wherever you want us to stay, Lord, we are putting you on the throne of our lives and we're trusting you, God, for a greater story than anything we could have ever imagined. And we pray this in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. If you would like to learn more about Northern Hills, you can go to nhills.org. You can also follow us online on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram for more updates and events. We look forward to seeing you next week.